today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. And the people have repented, and they've repented so much that they're trembling. Literally, they're, they're shaking. They have been shaken by this. And I just think to myself, wow, what to God that we would tremble at the word of our God. That's the fear of God that is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord that is to hate evil. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Ezra. We've all had to say, I'm sorry, before. From the time we were young children, we were taught to apologize. However, when we do something wrong, are we sorry we got caught? Or are we experiencing true sorrow? In his message today, Pastor J.D. describes the sorrow we should experience as Christians when we sin. It should be so intense that true repentance is the result. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. Now, here's Pastor J.D. in the book of Ezra, chapter 10, with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. Now, therefore, verse 3, let us make a covenant with our God to put away all these wives and those who have been born to them according to the advice of my master and of those who tremble, tremble at the commandment of our God and let it be done according to the law. Oh, wow. Uh, this is known as repentance. Where I come from, they call that, re- <laughs> the people have repented. They have, this is a, as Paul would describe it to the Corinthians, a godly sorrow that leads to a genuine repentance. Different than the sorrow of being caught. That's the worldly sorrow. We've been found out. Oh, I'm sorry. I get pulled over. I, I, I don't never get pulled over, Artie. I haven't been pulled over and I haven't had a ticket in over 30 years. I'm such an, a law-abiding citizen. But let's just say Artie pulls me over just figuratively, you know, theoretically, just for purpose of illustration. He pulls me over and uh, he says, uh, uh, can I see, or Paula, too. Paula, I've never been, uh, did I say that already? Okay, <laughs> so I get pulled over and they say, I need your license and and registration, you know why I pulled you over? No. Isn't that what they, they always say that, right? No. Uh, well, you were exceeding the speed limit by, you know, so many miles per hour. And what am I going to say? I'm going to say, I'm sorry. I didn't know. I'm not sauce. I'm sorry because I got caught. I'm sorry that I got pulled over. That's why I'm sorry. Of course, I'm going to be so- sorry. You're not really sorry. Because see, if you were really sorry, there would be a change in how you drive. That's a true sorrow that leads to a change. That's really being sorry. How am I doing? That was pretty good, wasn't it? Did I do all right with that? Good. Okay, so. (laughs) All right, so. But this is a genuine sorrow. This is a godly sorrow, and it's a genuine repentance. They have hearkened unto the voice of Ezra's cry, and the people have repented, and they've repented so much that they're trembling. 
Literally, they're, they're shaking. They have been shaken by this. And I just think to myself, wow, <laughs> would to God that we would tremble at the word of our God. That's the fear of God that is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord that is to hate evil. Verse 4, arise, for this matter is your responsibility. We also are with you. Be of good courage and do it. Then Ezra arose and made the leaders of the priests, the Levites, and all Israel swear an oath that they would do according to his word. So they swore an oath. Then Ezra rose up from before the house of God and went into the chamber of Jehohanan, the son of Eliashib. And when he came there, he ate no bread and drank no water, for he mourned because of the guilt of those from the captivity. And they issued, verse 7, a proclamation throughout Judah and Jerusalem to all the descendants of the captivity that they must gather at Jerusalem and that whoever would not come within three days, according to the instruction of the leaders and elders, all <laughs> this is a deterrent, all his property would be confiscated, and he himself would be separated from the assembly of those from the captivity. So, verse 9, all the men of Judah and Benjamin gathered at Jerusalem within three days. It was the ninth month, on the 20th of the month, and all the people sat in the open square of the house of God, trembling because of this matter and because of heavy rain. We get a little weather report <laughs> thrown in there. Actually, uh, we're told, as we're going to see, it was really raining very heavily. Verse 10, Then Ezra the priest stood up and said to them, You have transgressed and have taken pagan wives, adding to the guilt of Israel. Now therefore make confession to the Lord God of your fathers and do his will. Separate yourselves from the peoples of the land and from the pagan wives. Then all the assembly answered and said with a loud voice, Yes, as you have said, so we must do. But there are many people. It is the season for heavy rain. And we are not able to stand outside, nor is this work of one or two days, for there are many of us who have transgressed in this matter. Just gives you an idea of how prevalent and pronounced this had become. Please, verse 14, let the leaders of our entire assembly stand, and let all those in our cities who have taken pagan wives come at appointed times. In other words, we need more time together with the elders and judges of their cities, until the fierce wrath of our God is turned away from us in this matter. Before we go any further, I want to point out something that is very important. I believe very important. And it's that this is a revival in every sense of the word. And it came out, came about by way of prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting. May I suggest that, and I want to talk about this just a little bit if you don't mind. May I suggest that there has never been a revival throughout human history absent prayer and fasting. Every revival and awakening has come because of prayer and fasting. And certainly this revival 
in Israel's history came about that way. Throughout history, there have been those who have studied revivals, and they have all concluded that an awakening has never come in any other way. Dr. J. Edwin Orr was one such man. He wrote extensively concerning evangelical awakenings and revivals in the past. In fact, he studied the Calvary Chapel movement. This is many, many years ago. He came to Costa Mesa, and he was studying the whole Jesus people awakening and revival, where all of these hippies were coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And he went to Costa Mesa, and he just observed, and this is what he said about that revival that came back in the 60s and 70s. He said, it was the Holy Spirit of God ministering through the Holy Word of God to the people of God. And that was his conclusion. But you know how it came about? One day, Pastor Chuck shares this, he and Kay were sitting in the car, and it was actually his wife that was praying as they're watching the hippies there in Southern California. And her prayer was this, and they prayed and fasted, and this was their prayer. Lord, how do we reach these hippies? They're so lost. And that's how it began. And the rest, as they say, is history. How did this revival come about in Israel's history? It's because of prayer and fasting. Ezra prayed and fasted and cried out to God. J. Edwin Orr said it this way. It's in his book, Prayer and Revival. Listen to what he writes. No great spiritual awakening has begun anywhere in the world apart from united prayer. There's never been a revival. There has never been an awakening apart from united prayer. One last thing, and we'll we'll move on and finish the chapter and the book. But I just, how do I say this without sounding mean? <laughs> I've just about had it with these church growth gurus. Can I call them that? I just did. That have all these techniques and strategies. I, I'm getting sick and tired of these things that come in the mail, and sh- surely they... I can't read the articles anymore because of the, all the ads that pop up on the screen. Seven keys to growing your church. And they're all, you know how it is, right? When, you know, because, man, it makes you wonder what Google knows. Because, I mean, have you ever noticed that you, like, go onto Amazon and be looking for a particular product, and then for the next month, everything that shows up on your screen is that or related to that? It's like, what else do they know? <laughs> Put a tape over that camera on your on your computer. I mean, they're they're watching you. They know what you're wanting, and they and then so here I am. I'm searching stuff, you know, pastor related, church related. So what do you think I'm going to get bombarded with? You know, seven mistakes that pastors make in growing their church. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You know what? 
One, one last thing, and I'm not going to go off on this, because I can, you know I can. But here's the thing, and I wish I'd have known this early on, but you know, when I was new in the ministry as a pastor, I kept hearing everybody talk about, you need a vision. You need a vision for your church. And I thought, first of all, I'm not that clever to come up with a a vision. And, and by the way, it's not my church. And And oh, by the way... <laughs> Don't we already have the vision? You know, you, you need to do this, you need to do that, you need to do this. How about we just pray and fast? We need revival. I know. What are we going to do about it? Well, we need to send out flyers. We need to go door to door. Nothing wrong with that. Going door to door. Outreach. But why don't we do what they did in Scripture that brought about revival? Why don't we pray? God forbid, fast. Why don't we just go to the Lord and say, Lord, I can't do this. I think of Solomon. When the Lord says, anything you want, I'll give it to you. He says, you know what I really need? I kind of need to know what to do because I don't know even how to walk up to the throne. I'm the king now. I don't know, you know what foot to put in front of the other. Uh, I need to be able, I need wisdom. And what does God say? Well, because you asked for wisdom and you didn't ask for riches, I'm going to give you both. And he did. Well, boy, did he. I just need wisdom. Lord, this is your church. I mean, how's God going to feel if I'm using my vision, casting my vision for his church? What are you doing? That's my church. Your vision? That's my church. How about my vision for my church? You know, I'm so thankful. You know, I already have it. <laughs> that's, that's the vision. It's right here in the Word. That's the vision for the church, for His church. Well, let's move on. Verse 15. And by the way, I don't have a mission statement either. I hope you don't mind. What are you going to say? I really mind. I don't have one of those corporate mission statements. You know, our purpose is... It's Acts 2.42. It's Matthew 28, going to all the world. How do you do church? Acts 2.42. They remain steadfast in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayer. The four legs. That's, that's church. That's what church is. Okay, I'm done. Let's move on. <laughs> Verse 15. Only Jonathan the son of Asahel and Jehaziah, the son of Tikvah, opposed this. And Meshulam and Shabbatai, the Levite, gave them support. Then the descendants of the captivity did so. And Ezra the priest with certain heads of the father's households were set apart by the father's households, each of them by name. And they sat down on the first day of the tenth month to examine the matter. This is called due process. By the first day, verse 17, of the first month, they finished questioning all the men who had taken pagan wives. And among the sons of the priests who had taken pagan wives, the following were found of the sons of Jeshua, the son of Jazadak, and his brothers, Messiah, Eliezer, Jarib, and Gedaliah. And they gave, verse 19, their promise. 
that they would put away their wives, and being guilty, they presented a ram of the flock as their trespass offering. What's going on here? Well, this is interesting. You know what they're doing? They're taking great effort to ensure that they do this right. This is not easy. You're talking about people here. <laughs> These are wives and children. They they may be pagans, but they're still families. They're still their families. And they need to be given an opportunity to stay. In other words, if they were genuine in their desire to forsake their pagan religion and serve the God of Israel, they could remain. And we're going to see that happen. We're also going to see where it doesn't happen, but there are some who do. Verse 20, also of the sons of Imr, Hanani, and Zebediah, of the sons of Harim, Messiah, Elijah, Shemaiah, Jehiel, and Uzziah, of the sons of Pashur, Elianai, forgive me on these names, I'm butchering them, Maaseiah, Ishmael, Nathanel, Jazabad, and Elasah, also of the Levites, Jazabad, Shimai, Keliah, the same is Kelita, Pethahiah, Judah, and Eliezer, also of the singers, Eliashib, and of the gatekeepers, Shalom, Telem, and Uri, and others of Israel, the sons of Parash, Ramaya, Jaziah, Melkaya, Mijamin, Eliazar, Melkijah, and Benaiah, of the sons of Elam, Mataniah, Zechariah, Jehiel, Abdi, Jeremoth, and Eliah, of the sons of Zatu, Elianai, Eliashib, Matanai, Jeremoth, Zabad, and Aziza, of the sons of Bibai, Hanan, Hananiah, Zabai, and Athlai. Uh, we're almost done, bear with me. Of the sons of Bani, Meshulam, Maluch, Adaiah, Jashub, Shial, and Ramath. Verse 30, of the sons of Pahath, Moab, Adna, Chelal, Benaiah, Masa. You know what? I'm going to just um, spare you uh, the pain of trying to pronounce the rest of these names all the way through to verse 44. I'm going to be merciful. That's merciful, isn't it? In verse 40, some of you are saying, thank you so much. You're such a kind man. Okay. Verse 44, and it says, all these had taken pagan wives, and some of them had wives by whom they had children. All right, so I want to bring the book to an end, the Bible study to an end, by just mentioning that we have a list of what seems to be, as one counted, about 114 of these pagan wives who refused to accept the God of Israel. Now, as hard as it might be to imagine it, they put them away. It was their choice. They had been given an opportunity. They could have remained, but it would have meant that they would have had to forsake their pagan gods and follow the true God of Israel. Now think about this. How hard would that have been for even the husband, the Israelite man? That's his wife. Those are his children. And they made that choice. 
as hard as it must have been. And here's the husband saying, please stay. Please stay. Please renounce your pagan gods and serve the true and living God and let's stay together. And they refuse. God will never force his will on anyone. He's given us sovereignty over our own wills. And had they not done this as hard as it would have been, they would have been, as we understand it in the New Testament, this is a New Testament principle, they would have been unequally yoked. Now please, that does not mean that if you're married to a non-Christian, that you should get divorced. I want to close with 1 Corinthians 7. And by the way, for those of you who are with us, it's been a couple, three years ago now when we went through the uh, book of 1 Corinthians when we got to chapter 7, a very important chapter, dealing very practically with this very dynamic. Let me just read what the Apostle Paul wrote, and, and we'll close. But this is what he says, But to the rest I, not the Lord, say... If any brother has a wife who does not believe and she is willing to live with him, there it is, let him not divorce her. Any woman who has a husband who does not believe, if he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but now they are holy. Now, again, uh, you might want to go back. You can go online. Uh, we went into great depth in studying this and what the Apostle Paul is saying here and what the where the goalposts are, so to speak. Time does not permit tonight. But verse 15, and this is important. If the unbeliever departs, let them depart. That's exactly what happened here in Ezra. Let them go. A brother or a sister is not under bondage in such cases. You're free. But God has called us to peace. And then he says this, For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? But as God has distributed to each one, as the Lord has called each one, so let him walk. And so I ordain in all the churches. In other words, husband, you're married to a non-Christian wife, stay with them. If they want to leave, what are you going to do? If they refuse to stay, what are you going to do? You can't force them. And conversely, husband to the wife, wife to the husband. How do you know that you might not win them to the Lord. Stay married. Don't divorce them. But if they want to go, which is what happened here in Ezra, then put them away. They have to go. Let them go. Let them go. We're so glad we've had this time with you today as we've continued through the book of Ezra with Pastor J.D. Farag. Pastor J.D. is the lead pastor at Calvary Chapel Kaneohe in Kaneohe, Hawaii. And if you happen to live here, you're invited to visit. Calvary Chapel Kaneohe holds services Sundays at 8.30 and 10.45 a.m. and in-depth Bible studies each Thursday at 7 p.m. Directions can be found on our website in spiritandtruthradio.com. If you can't join us in person, you can still benefit from Pastor J.D.'s teachings through our online resources at InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com. 
simply click listen on the top of the page to gain access to a number of previous messages by Pastor J.D. in various books of the Bible. You can also find these teachings on our mobile app and take them with you on the go. In addition to accessing those teachings, you can also check out the Mideast Prophecy Update, where Pastor J.D. shares current events and their prophetic importance. Here's Pastor J.D. to tell you more. Yes, Josh, that's right. In doing the prophecy updates, we do focus our attention on current events through the lens of Bible prophecy. In John's Gospel, chapter 14, verse 29, Jesus said that he has told us what's going to happen before it happens, so when it happens, we will believe. This is why we have a very simple gospel presentation at the end of each prophecy update. It's our hope and prayer that many would come to salvation in Jesus Christ. Sure hope you'll join us each and every Friday and Saturday for our Bible prophecy update. You can also find the updates at inspiritandtruthradio.com. There you'll find a link to our YouTube channel for the latest update. Thanks, Pastor J.D. It's our prayer that the scripture shared here will work its way into your heart and life through the Spirit's power. Join us for more from the book of Ezra on the next edition of In Spirit and Truth. Will you-